Hello and welcome. We're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. Some of the things that he said, you can't think this was just, oh yeah, whatever. This should challenge us to the core of our soul. So consider, if you will, the person of Jesus Christ. Just a notable character, or does he warrant the title most often used to describe him, that being Lord? In the Bible, Jesus was referred to as Lord, and nothing could be more true, because that's exactly what he was and is. Jesus spoke with such authority, and his actions confirmed his lordship. Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues in his series on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As we continue through this series, I'm very mindful of something that the Prince of Preachers, that is Charles Spurgeon, said about this very topic in, I guess, warning preachers like myself to be very, very careful in dealing with this topic. He made the comment that the Lordship of Christ was probably one of those teachings that every gospel preacher should love to talk about. But it was the one doctrine, the one teaching about Jesus, which every preacher is completely insufficient, inefficient, insufficient to explain or describe. He went on to say that the more a preacher would try to explain about the magnificence, the lordship of Christ, probably the more it's going to sound like worship. And I actually hope that is indeed what this sounds like. I hope that what I do is result in, in worship, that we together would be compelled at the magnificence, the beauty of who we encounter now as we look at Christ. I, I'm very mindful also of something Tim Keller said, is that every preacher should strive to preach to an audience that was sceptical, so that if they heard what the preacher said, they would say to themselves, boy, wouldn't that be great if that was true? <laughs> well, I hope that what I share today will cause something in any sceptical heart to say, boy, wouldn't it be great if that was true? And I hope that something will happen in your heart where you realize it is. So let's pray. Father, now as we open your word, as we look not just at how Jesus spoke, but what he actually said, that, Lord, our hearts would indeed be warmed, our hearts would be stirred and changed and challenged, and that, Father, we would come to see who Jesus Christ really is. Not about being religious. He didn't come to start a religion. He came as the rightful king, the rightful Lord. He came into this territory because it was his. And, Lord, I pray that each of us, in this moment of giving heed to your word, would surrender to him. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I introduced this and we looked at how Jesus spoke, the way that he spoke. It set him apart from others. We saw that it was the temple guards who were sent by the Sanhedrin to go and arrest Jesus. And they came back and the Sanhedrin, that is the chief priest and the scribe, said, well, where is he? And they said, no one spoke like this. We couldn't arrest him the way he was speaking. And I think that's something that we need to grasp and contemplate, that no one spoke like Jesus the way he spoke. Now, in this session, I just want to unpack our time together by looking at 
what he said, some of the things that he said. Uh, you can't think this was just, oh, yeah, whatever. This should challenge us to the core of our soul. And so as we, we take our time now in, in opening God's word, I want to read a, just a passage to you, which we'll unpack in a moment. This is taken from Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side, that is a, a lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who indeed was he? That is exactly the question we need to ask because of what we're about to see. And as I hope to show you in this, Jesus Christ is Lord series, there is something about Jesus. He, he is, according to the New Testament, the one who spoke the very universe into existence. And he is the one who entered materially, like, as in physically, not just as an idea, not just as a, a, a spirit without a body, but as a physical being. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But and many people have described the coming of Jesus Christ into this world, or as I prefer to describe him, Jesus the Christ, as a moment that split time in half. In other words, even in our calendars, even in non-Christian worlds, they still refer to the event of Jesus. The Jesus event, I heard one scholar describe it, as splitting time in half. Why did he come? He came to rescue the world, his world, because there had been a great betrayal. One of his chief agents, someone that he had entrusted with authority, was filled with self-deception and conceited envy. And this, this being manipulated a serpent and gave it a voice to do his bidding in destroying the very last and highest of the Lord's very good Creation. That's how the scripture describes it in Genesis chapter 1 after he had created the woman. And that's the one that this formerly high heavenly being wanted to attack the moment she was created. And disappointingly, we know as we read from Genesis chapter 3 that she fell for the deception and then her husband, who was supposed to protect her, failed in his most basic of responsibilities and we call this the fall it was a fall into sin a fall from innocence and while some people refer to it as a fall from grace it was actually a fall into grace because the penalty for doing this was 
was to be instant death, and in many respects, as many theologians point out, both the first man and the first woman, whom we refer to as our progenitors, that means they were that's where it all started, they fell into grace because their lives, their physical lives did not end at that point. And of course we could we could see that something was something was dead after this moment. They, they were cut off, which is what death in the Bible means. It means being separated from your life source. The body without the spirit is dead, uh, James tells us. And so their, their fall from innocence plunged them into something that they were, they were created for something. They were created to walk with God, talk with God. They were created to have a fellowship with him. God himself had, had called them to be his rulers over this earth. They were to be his, as uh, theologians referred to them, as his vice regents. But now, because of their rebellion and arrogance against God, the world had gone rogue. And when the eternal Son of God submitted to his Father, his co-Lord of the universe, the Holy Spirit placed him many years later in a small town called Nazareth into a virgin's womb. And this is what we celebrate every Christmas. And of course, that word Christmas and Mass means celebration. It's the celebration of the coming of Christ. And the Holy Spirit placed the second person of the Trinity into a virgin's womb by uniting his consciousness, his soul, who he was. He was completely sinless and he was his spirit, who he was, was united with the ovum of this young virgin girl. That's called conception. And in so doing, we, we see that what the prophecy of Isaiah was that God would be Emmanuel. Isaiah 7.14, and that's exactly what happened. And when Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who was given that name Jesus, which means Saviour, when he became human, when he took on human form, he became 100% man. Yet, he never relinquished any of his sovereign power or any of his divine prerogatives but chose to lay aside his glory and he became fully human it's one of the great mysteries of christianity how jesus was 100 percent human and yet he was always 100 percent god it was years later, around the 5th century, that bishops and church theologians met at Chalcedon in Turkey, or modern-day Turkey now, to, to try and figure this out. And they, they realized, we can't figure this out. <laughs> they actually had to invent a word to describe this phenomena because it had never, ever happened in human history. The hypostatic union of Christ. In other words, there was a union of God and man in a way that didn't merge them, it didn't mingle them, it didn't deplete either of them, and it didn't mean that, as I've heard some people say, that Jesus had two minds, two souls. No, he, and this is the hypostatic union, they said, 
where he was that God-man, fully God, fully man. And here's the, here's the, the thing I hope will happen if you get this. If you get this, quite literally, it could take a weight of worry off your shoulders. And quite literally, in a moment, I'm going to quote my hero, F.W. Boreham, who he wrestled nearly all his life with pain. And as a result of that pain, he wrestled with insomnia. And he had this to say about coming to understand who Jesus was. He actually said, that coming to know Christ is the sovereign Lord of the universe helps people to sleep. So quite literally, I hope that what results from this is a good night's sleep for many people. For those who recognize who Jesus actually was, as we read in the Bible, it caused many of them to either fall down at his feet in worshipful adoration or to shrink back from him in terror. And we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane when the temple soldiers came to arrest him. They fell back in terror. If you've ever had any trouble sleeping because of worry and anxiety, you can discover how an acquaintanceship with the Lord Jesus Christ can actually literally help you to sleep better because you can cast all your cares onto him, not only because he cares for you, as it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, but because he is the most powerful person in the universe. No one, no one can take you out of his hand once you place your life in his care. And throughout history, those who have come to realize that Jesus Christ is Lord have discovered quite literally that they can sleep more peacefully. And I'll give some examples of that in a moment. It's quite amazing. And F.W. Bohr, my hero, he cites that. So after Jesus physically rose from the dead and all of the effects of his earthly body's rigor mortis had been undone. You can imagine in the, the heat of the Mediterranean East where a body in a tomb, Why we, we read even... In John chapter 11, after a few days, we read of the, the body of Lazarus where they said, by now he stinks. That's the effect of rigor mortis. But after he rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And as he ascended, he declared this to them, that he was Lord over heaven and earth. By rising from the dead, he had conquered the last undefeated enemy death and now he said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me he now possesses all in all authority so when a mere earthly ruler began to murder christ's apostles that would be caesar nero that, that he began with the apostle james and and jesus actually told james we read this in the gospel accounts that he would drink from the cup, the cup of suffering and pain that Jesus himself was to drink. It was then that Herod selected Peter to be his next victim. We read this in, in the book of Acts. He already had him locked up to await his execution. But that's not how Jesus said he would die. Although he told James he would meet an early death, he didn't say that about Peter. In fact, 
He said, when you are old, we read that statement in John 21 verses 18 and 19. When you are old. Now, Peter may have had those words ringing in his ears as he was imprisoned, awaiting what Herod thought would be Peter's execution. But what did Peter do with that knowledge that Christ was Lord? He conquered sin and death. He had declared to him, when you are old, they will take you where you do not want to go. What was Peter doing? He was asleep. We read in Acts chapter 12, and verse 6, Now when Herod was about to bring him out, that is to execute him, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door guarding the prison. And we all know what happened. Angels came, opened the prison door, snapped off those chains from Peter and led him out and directed him back to the awaiting church that was there praying for his release. I mentioned I was going to refer to Dr. F.W. Boreham. In his, his 1915 essay called Sleepy Hollow, he asks and answers this profound question. Why do we send missionaries to the heathen? Why indeed, he says, but to teach people how to sleep. He, in this essay, he goes on to explain himself by, by giving an example, after example, of remarkable transformations that the gospel had when missionaries carried the gospel to the far-flung corners of the world and the recipients who received it began to sleep peacefully. And Dr. Borum tells us of how often they feared uh, death in the night from a, a neighboring tribe. He summarizes many of the missionary reports and he puts this in his book, and he says this, the essential difference between a Christian and a cannibal is that a Christian knows how to go to sleep and a cannibal doesn't. Dr. Borum tells of other believers down through the ages who also had experienced the joy of peaceful sleep because their hearts were filled with the supernatural joy that can only come from a revelation of the Lordship of Jesus the Christ. And I say Jesus the Christ because many people call Jesus, Jesus Christ, as if Christ was his surname. It was the title. And N.T. Wright, in his translation of the Gospels, he actually translates that word Christos, which is the Greek word, as king. Christ, king. Jesus, the king. And so we see that uh, when the Apostle Paul was facing uh, his executor, he he also rested and he shared with the Colossians a glimpse of why his revelation about the Lord Jesus. He says this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him all things were created. This is what Paul came to see and to understand about who Jesus really was. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You were created by him, through him, and for him. He is before all things, Paul wrote, and in him all things hold together. The question has been asked when Jesus was a young child uh, growing up, was he aware of who he was? Was he aware of his identity? 
as the the eternal son of God now come in the flesh, who was actually the Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, Kim and I recently went to see Journey to Bethlehem, the musical with uh, Joel Smallbone playing the son of Herod. He, he plays Antipas. And uh, Herod's played by Antonio Banderas. And it's a, a really creative movie. Um, you know, I had to take my theologian's hat off and just enjoy the artistic portrayal of the, of the arrival of Christ into earth. But if Jesus didn't know who he was, then the episode that I just read to you out of Mark's gospel, and you can also read it out of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to verse 24, makes no sense at all. I mean, why on earth would he stand up in the midst of rough weather in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee where the disciples were so terrified? These were hardened seafaring disciples scared for their life to awake Jesus who was asleep in the boat and then to their absolute amazement witness Jesus doing something extraordinary when Jesus spoke to the elements as we just read before he exercised his lordship authority the weather the wind and the waves instantly obeyed him and that's what the disciples saw they the, the these disciples in the boat were eyewitnesses to not just the way Jesus spoke but what he said and it goes further Jesus demonstrated that he knew he was lord he demonstrated his lordship over matter when he multiplied the fish and the loaves to feed the 5,000. He exercised his lordship over sickness and disease when he cleansed lepers, opened the eyes of the blind, healed the lame and unstopped deaf ears. He exercised his lordship over demons and evil spirits. But perhaps the lead up events to his growing demonstrations of his lordship were the shadows of his power over death. And the big word for shadows there is adumbrations. There's a big word for today. And it simply means a foretaste. Christ, before he raised himself from the dead, began to raise others from the dead. Jesus raised a nobleman's daughter back to life, Matthew 9.25. Jesus raised the dead son of a widow of Nain back to life, Luke Chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. And then Jesus raised the man who was dead and buried for four days back to life by simply speaking the command to rise from the dead and come forth, he said. John chapter 11, verses 43 to 44. If you do get to read through the Gospels, I encourage you to do that, reading Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You will see... I hope you will see now that Jesus Christ exercised lordship by simply commanding things to be so. There were demonstrations of his lordship that revealed he really was who he claimed to be, that lord of heaven and earth, and that the distance, that distance and space between him and those who benefited from hearing his voice to command was no obstacle. He could speak a word about someone being healed from a sickness that was about to take their life. 
And even though they were a day and a half walks walk away, that young man was healed. Who does this? Can I tell you, distance is no object to Christ performing a miracle in someone's life. And you might think that, well, if I believe you, Pastor, Jesus is in heaven. He can't hear me from there. And I'm telling you, yes, he can. Yes, he can. He can hear your silent prayer. And according to the Gospel of John, even when people thought things, he knew what they were thinking. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what's in your heart. He knows exactly your ache, your desire, your disappointment. He knows the things that have caused you to feel pain. He knows where you've been betrayed. He knows everything about you to the point where he said, even the hairs on your head are numbered by him and his father. This is worth realizing who Jesus really is. Because there was no problem for distance, no problem for geography, no problem of ethnicity or race, Jesus could heal whosoever, wheresoever. And the same thing applies today. The distance between the heavenly enthroned Jesus the Christ and his worshippers is inconsequential to what he can do for anyone who calls on his name right now. And that the amazing truth that Jesus conquered sin and death through his death on a Roman cross and his resurrection out of a Jewish tomb and then his ascension, that is his return to heaven from this dimension into that, and where we read in the Bible that he was then re-glorified. He now has spoken in a way that Paul could write to the Philippians that every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And once you surrender your life to him and you know that he is perfectly in control of the universe, good and bad, and we, the church, enter into the pain of this world. We enter into his sufferings together in prayer, and we pray where the world hurts, and we pray for you. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter who's done whatever they've done to you, God knows, God cares, and he sent us to help you. We want to pray for you. We want to show you how you can have a relationship with him. You are not a million miles away from God. You are not someone who is unloved. You are unconditionally loved by the God who made you. I'm calling on you now to surrender your life to him. You don't have to go to a church. You don't have to talk to a man on the other side of a cage or a box. You can do it right now where you're at. That's what Jesus said. No matter what you're going through right now, Jesus Christ can be your Lord because he is the Lord. And once you get to know this and once you experience the life-saving power 
that Jesus Christ offers to everyone who turns to him and trusts him as their Lord. You can sleep well. You can sleep well because he will keep you and guard you. Let's pray. Father, now I pray for everyone who's listening to this message, those who are here and those who are scattered perhaps around Tasmania, perhaps around Australia, perhaps in other parts of this world, that God, you would speak to their heart right now, that my voice would become faint and yours would become loud in their hearts, that they would hear you say, my child, come home, and that they would respond, Jesus, save me. Be merciful to me. Please forgive me. Come into my life by your Spirit and help me to live for you from this day forward. I ask you this because I believe what you said, that all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Father, I pray for all those who have prayed a prayer similar to this from their heart as we've been talking about who Jesus really was, what he said. No one spoke like this. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him. Even dead people obeyed him. No one spoke like this. And now he's speaking to you. Come, repent, turn away from the life direction you've been going in. Stop and turn to him now. And I pray, Father, that you would do that work in each one. Listening now, in Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, those who encountered Jesus of Nazareth met someone who knew everything about them. And those who meet him now experience the same thing. The King of the Universe knows you and loves you. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.